Happy Mother's Day. Okay, we need, to, we need to do this right for our women. Okay, so men, I want to hear it for the women in the crowd. What do you want to say? Yeah. Very good. Very good. <laughs> well, last Sunday, we got to celebrate my mom because with three pastors in the family, it was, it's literally impossible to get six kids, three of which are pastors, together to honor your mom appropriately, I mean, as she deserves, the national treasure. So um, thank you so much for letting us do that last week. Um, if we're meeting for the very first time, my name's Anne, and I'm one of the pastors here at Evergreen, and I'm a woman, in case you hadn't noticed, and I love it. And I'm married to this wonderful guy that you met a few minutes earlier, if you're new. His name's Jared. And two years ago on Mother's Day, some of you will remember, his message was confessions of a former chauvinist. Um, now, I, you know, that's not how I remember my man. But upon further reflection, <laughs> he may have met a few criteria back in the day, okay? But he has always valued and respected and welcomed women in all their gifts and the contributions that they can make. And I've been the beneficiary of that. Thank you. For that, Mr. Roth. But today, I get to talk about the feminine advantage. Maybe you've been wondering, what is that going to be about? <laughs> you see, I have walked, for me, this message today, this talk is very personal. Because I've walked into many rooms where there were 150, 200 male pastors as the only women and had the awkward opportunity to try to find a spot at the table for the dinner that we were going to have. And going from table to table, the men, very uncertain, can you really invite a woman that's not your spouse to sit down at your table with you? Until finally, a friend will speak up and say, hey, Anne, come sit with us. And they make a room for me. I've watched my male successors, who I recruited and trained and recommended to replace me be offered the job at a higher salary, and it wasn't a cost of living increase. Even at Evergreen, which is a community I love, this is the most accepting, inclusive community, but we're a church that's had female pastors for many years, and I've experienced the uncertainty or the outright refusal of some to accept me in my role. I was at the grocery store when I ran into a woman from Evergreen, and she had her adult daughter who she wanted to introduce to me. And I watched as she stammered awkwardly through the introduction, trying to figure out to say who I was. Now, she knew my name, but she's trying to say, mm, pastor's wife, um, teacher. Uh, you know, she's looking, I said, I'll take any of the above, you know, with her. But I have to say that this scene has been repeated multiple times in public encounters. More than a few people have introduced me as the pastor's wife, and I'm proud to be his wife. <clears throat> um, but that also kind of sidesteps what my role is here. And I know that old habits die hard. I understand that. Still others have left the church because we have female pastors here, and we have female pastors who teach. The truth is, though, I'm not the only woman who's encountered this. You've encountered this in your workplace. 
You've encountered this where you live. You've encountered this in your neighborhood, perhaps in your extended family. Some of these very similar experiences. So I'm not alone. You have your story as well. But today, I'm praying that as I talk about the feminine advantage, that each one of us will either be affirmed in or we will be moved to follow Jesus' example in how he treated women. Now, I can't promise today that Jesus isn't going to mess with you because he regularly messes with me, especially when I look at his word and his example of life. So... In just a minute, the ushers are going to come now, and they're going to pass the offering baskets. And are you ready to dive in with me? All right, let's go. Thanks for your generosity, by the way. You're helping us make a difference in God's big world, including sending gifts to all these precariously housed seniors. We appreciate it. Well, it was Eleanor Roosevelt who said these words. A woman is like a tea bag. You never know how strong she is until she gets in hot water. I like that one. I want to see a show of hands. How many of you have gotten in hot water lately because for doing the right thing, for doing the right thing? Oh, yeah, I see some hands out there. Put them up boldly. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. You know, I was raised by a strong woman who got in hot water early in her college career. Yes, I'm speaking of my mom, and this is a picture of her. Isn't that the labor and delivery nurse you all dreamed of having? My mom is a lot of fun, and that's just part of it. She got permission, don't worry. (laughs) She was in nursing school, and at that time, they forbid marriage while you were in training. So her and my dad eloped. And then my mom would sneak back into her dorm room and pretend she was single. The problem was that after a few months of married life, she got pregnant. And... Pretty soon, it became impossible to hide that fact. But instead of expelling her, as they had done for several of her predecessors, the school decided she could graduate, but she would not be able to walk with her class because of such scandalous behavior. (laughs) Now, those women who had been kicked out earlier were then allowed to come back, re-enter the program, and fulfill their dream. Yeah, it was a cool thing. They were very grateful to my mom for what she went through for their benefit. You see, my mom changed the rules for women at that school forever because they changed that rule at the end of her year. Mom went on to raise six kids while working full-time as a nurse. She sewed our clothes, cared for our scrapes, and was the primary breadwinner for our family for at least 10 years of our childhood. She is an amazing woman who changed the world. So Jared and I, last spring, enjoyed this concert with Mumford and Sons and U2 at CenturyLink Stadium in Seattle. And they used the big screen to tell the story to highlight women from around the world who've changed the world positively for the better. And then at the end of that presentation, which was so moving, of all these women, on the screen came these words, women unite. And I'm telling you, the stadium went crazy. And I thought of Laurel Ulrich's quote, which is off-quoted, well-behaved women seldom make history. 
And what I want to suggest today, not just for the women, but for all of us together, is let's begin misbehaving with Jesus and change the world and make it better for all of us. Jesus was revolutionary in how he related to women, and he still is compared to most evangelicals. He sent shockwaves through his culture. You see, life was difficult for a first century woman. The options for a first century woman were much narrower than our options today. We have come a long way. There were more don'ts than do's for women in Jesus' day. You see, they could bear children and they could create a hospitable environment for the family, but they couldn't own property. They couldn't keep their own earnings. They couldn't read or study the Torah. And no, they couldn't get out of an abusive marriage. There were a lot of don'ts. The daily prayers of Jewish men included this phrase, praised be God that he has not made me a woman. And it wasn't a joke. They were happy to be the ones in power. You see, in Jesus' day, they lived in a very patriarchal culture where men had the power and privilege and women and children were property and completely dependent on men. And in the middle of this very restrictive culture, Jesus was radically different toward women. Did you know that there's no biblical record of a woman ever rejecting Jesus? Did you know that every encounter that you can look at in scripture of Jesus with a woman was always a positive outcome every single time? He defied both the Jewish culture and the occupying Roman culture surrounding him. And there's four things that he did that shook things up in his part of the world. First of all, Jesus spoke with women in public, showing them acceptance and love. He spoke with women who were prostitutes, homeless, chronically ill, disabled, those mourning for their children, those mourning because they had no children, and women who had made very poor choices in life. And Jesus spoke to all of them. Jesus showed respect and compassion for women. He strikes up a conversation with a woman at the well who came from the wrong side of the tracks, socially, ethnically, racially, and yes, sexually. She was a woman. That was the wrong side of the tracks. And he stopped for a woman with a bleeding disorder who had touched him. And because of Jewish law, he would have been considered unclean, having been touched by a woman who was unclean. But he stopped for her. To connect with her. He looked into the eyes of a woman who was caught in adultery and he lovingly called her to a better life and he refused to be one of her con- condemners. And he received the worship of a woman who had the audacity to interrupt a dinner party at one of the Pharisees' homes and decide to show her love and thanksgiving to Jesus, her appreciation for him, her worship of him, by using her tears to wet his feet and her hair to dry those same feet. Jesus didn't flinch, much to the surprise of his hosts. Thirdly, Jesus had disciples who were women, Unlike all the other rabbis of his day, he taught women as well as men about his love 
and his ways. Matthew 12, 46 through 50 records for us Jesus talking to a crowd in a home. It was packed out when his mother and brothers arrived outside where he was speaking and wanted to talk to him. Now, someone announced this to him, and he responds with, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Then pointing to the disciples, it says, who were gathered. Who was in this crowd? This was a crowd of men and women. It was not just a crowd of men. And he said, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And Jesus regarded men and women as disciples and that doing the will of God, of our heavenly father, not one sex was the qualifier for being a disciple. In fact, in Jewish culture, the supreme qualifier of a disciple was that they surrendered their worldview, they surrendered their view and perspective on life and adopted, fully surrendered it to the view and the worldview and the perspective on life and the beliefs of the rabbi that they were following. And they had a lot of discussions about that. Luke 10, 39, we read the story of Mary and Martha, and Martha and Mary were two of Jesus' female friends, and Martha was busy fulfilling the expectations of the culture for women. She was creating a hospitable place, and she was getting ready for guests. But the thing is, Martha begins complaining because Mary is misbehaving. You see, Mary is not doing what was expected. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him. This is the typical stance of a disciple with a rabbi would be to sit at the rabbi's feet in a submissive sort of position, if you will. He was the greater, well, and listen to the teacher and then have interaction. And Jesus points out that Mary, the misbehavior, has chosen the better part. Luke 8, one through three tells us, Dr. Luke lets us know there's a number of people who traveled with Jesus, who were women, and they contributed to his needs. This is another thing that typically the disciples of a rabbi would do, not some women. But Jesus had female disciples in his entourage who traveled with them and contributed to the needs that, the, that their rabbi had. Jesus radically welcomed women. And his words... <clears throat> Excuse me, and Jesus entrusted the news of the resurrection with women. I know many of you have heard this and read the account in the Easter story. Matthew 28, verse 10 verses tells us. But I want you to know that at a time when women were not trusted and were considered unreliable and could not testify even in a court of law, and who does Jesus entrust the biggest news ever with? He entrusted it to women first. They were his Amazon Prime Delivery guaranteed team. Jesus changed the conversation with his actions, and we can too. And I want to suggest today three traits of world-changing women that men and women should embrace if we want to follow Jesus' example and how he treated men and women, both. Here's the first one. Let Jesus, not our culture, Define our identity and purpose. Let Jesus, not our culture, define our identity and purpose. Culture defines us by who we know, how much we have, what we do, and how we look. 
And this is upside down, inside out, and backwards of how God defines us. He describes who we are in a lot grander terms. I like God's description. I just want to talk about this for a couple minutes because this is the one that we live in. This is the water we swim in and the air we breathe. And our culture dramatically impacts how we think about the different sexes, male and female. We want to think about them like Jesus does. So first of all, we are made in his image, the Imago Dei. Genesis 1.27, God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. From the beginning, male and female were created in his image. And you see, there was this beautiful interdependence on each other and utter dependence on God. So Adam could look at Eve and say these words, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And that's this wonderful interdependence between the male and the female. But then both of them together were completely submitted to God, completely dependent on him. And this was really God's plan all along. It didn't last long before things got broken. But that's what he's returning us to. So Wendy Alsop, in May's edition, last May that is, of Christianity Today, she wrote these words. Gloria Steinem famously said, a feminist is anyone who recognizes the equality and full humanity of women and men. Is God then a feminist by her definition? If feminism in its purest sense is the quest for justice and equal rights for women, then yes, God was the first feminist. God created woman in his image and bestowed on her equal dignity with man. We are, simply put, image bearers of our creator. And it doesn't get better than that. We don't become more than that. That's as good as we could possibly be in the very image of God. But our culture does not reflect God's truth about women. It was 1920 when women won the right to vote. And equal pay for equal work is still not a reality. And the Me Too movement is evidence of our culture's view and treatment of women still being at odds with God's view and value for women. So as Christ followers, we have a challenge because we're living in the middle of a culture that promotes something other than. And it is our challenge then to live out his value for women in front of others because all of us together are his image bearers. That brings us to the second thing that Jesus says about who we are and our purpose. It says that we are his masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. We are his masterpiece. Now, to be a masterpiece, two things need to be true. First of all, it needs to be a work of art that's done with extraordinary skill. Whether it be a statue, whether it be a painting, whether it be some sort of other art piece. But secondly, it, a masterpiece is always considered part of that artist's best work. So extraordinary skill and the best work of that artist. Think about that for a minute. You are God's best work, created with extraordinary skill. You are, if you will, 
God's Sistine Chapel. Take a look at this image of the ceiling, and it's much grander in person and up close. That's who he's made every single woman and man on planet Earth, his masterpiece. You have a unique role that no one else in the universe can fill. You are a picture of God that no one else can carry to the world. The world needs who you are. The church needs who you are. Evergreen needs who you are. As followers of Jesus, we want to communicate with our words and actions that men and women are nothing less than God's masterpiece. That's a great test. Thirdly, what he says about our identity and his plans or purposes for us is this, that his plans for us are best. Psalm 139, 13 through 16, I feel like I've quoted this a few times in the last couple of weeks, uh, but it's so true that these verses tell us that God intricately formed us. He was involved in forming us in the womb and that we're fearfully and wonderfully made and that he saw us before we were fully formed, and he saw each of the days that were ordained. That's like order up. He wrote out the order for you before one of them came to be. So none of these identity or purpose statements that I've just given you, the fact that we are made in his image, secondly, that we're his masterpiece, or thirdly, that his plans are best, None of these are based on what sex we are or on our marital status. They are equally true of men and women. My niece, Whitney, is a trauma nurse. She works at Seattle Children's Hospital, and last year she spent two separate stints in Iraq with Samaritan's Purse. She's 31 years old, single, and is not waiting around for a husband to validate who she is. She said her perspective from the Lord has prevented her focus at 31 from being finding a husband to finding a holy purpose. And in her own words, she wrote, it was vital for me to know that being single isn't less than God's best for me. The Lord wants his best for me, she said. He loves me, but at the same time, I've surrendered to him, to building his kingdom. That means letting go of what I may think or, or want as best for me to yield to what's best for the kingdom of God. So what's Whitney doing now? She's still single. She's serving Jesus as a trauma nurse, and she's been in Bangladesh the last three months. This is a picture of the refugee camp, just a small portion of it, because literally thousands upon thousands of refugees, Rohingya refugees, who have fled Myanmar with nothing but what they have on their back to escape certain death at the hands of their government soldiers have come. And this next picture is her with the kids. She's wearing a mask because the, her job the last three months has been in a diphtheria clinic. And when she returns next month, she'll be in a cholera clinic because the rains have come and that's the next disease to hit. Whitney is a world changer because she has decided to let God define her identity and that his plans are best. So first, let Jesus, not our culture, define our identity and purpose. And then the second thing, the second trait of world-changing men and women is this, help and empower others. Say yes. What do I mean? 
Well, let's look at Psalm 1835. This is like one of my life verses. I love it. David writes these words, you cleared the ground under me, so my footing was firm. You have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. That's my favorite phrase in that verse. Your help has made me great. Or as another translation puts it, you stoop down to make me great. And David is recognizing what God has done for him. And God has done that for each one of us through his son, Jesus Christ. And this too is upside down, inside out and backwards from what the world says is the path to influence. Because what we know is that when we pour ourselves out on others' behalves like Jesus did for us, that's when real change begins to happen. And that's what saying yes is going to be all about You see, we can say yes and see lives changed. This is our calling as a Christ follower. So men, this means that you start with the women in your family, your circle of friends, your coworkers. You can say yes to their dreams and purposes and support. And most importantly, you can become an advocate for them in their opportunities. Now women, Sometimes we are our own worst enemies. I've found that it's easy for women to develop a scarcity mentality when it comes to influence or power when you have minority status. Because when we get it, when we get a little of it, we want to hang on to it. Because we don't want to give it away for others. Even if it is a woman, because I will have less. That's how we think. Ben Bars, a noted neuroscientist who has now died, he was a tremendous advocate for equal opportunities for women. He said that he has seen some very accomplished women who make it to the top in their fields and they pull up the ladder behind them. Perversely believing, he said, that if other women are less successful, then my own success will seem greater. That's what I'm talking about. But I love what President Harry Truman said. It is amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. That's a Jesus statement. Jared and I were 23 years old. We are actually probably 22 or 21 when we both felt like God was calling us to plant a church. Now, we weren't married yet. We didn't know where that was going to happen. But when we did, we went to our pastor, and we were all of 22 at that by then. We'd aged a whole other year. And we had the guts to tell him, what our dream was, to plant a church. We even told him the community. And out of all the things that Roy, our mentor, did for us, this was the best. This was the most important. You see, he said yes to our dreams. He said, yes, I believe you can do this. He said, yes, we will send you. He said, yes, we'll be behind you all the way. We'll be your advocates. Saying yes to somebody's opportunity, to somebody's God-given purpose. It was my first year as director of the camping program for the Northwest District of Churches for Foursquare, and I was um, at Camp Crest. You had a week of, it was one of our four weeks of kids camp, and I saw this woman who just amazed me. She was a cabin leader. She was in her late 20s. She was so much fun, but she was absolutely inspirational and influential amongst both the kids and the other leaders at camp, and it was her first time ever to camp. Her name was Kim Lawless. Anybody recognize that? That's our, ki- our kid's pastor. Now, she had, I, I decided, you know what? She's going to be our next director for a kid's camp. 
I asked her at the end of that time, at the end of that week, if she would consider. Now she was blown away. She had only been a kids pastor for two weeks, folks. <laughs> but that began this long friendship. I had an opportunity to consult on camping over on the East Coast. And I thought, who can I bring with me? And I asked the people who invited me to come and consult. I said, I want to bring somebody with me to do that. And it was Kim. Taking our opportunity and leveraging it to give someone else an opportunity, particularly those younger than, than us. Yes, she is a decade younger than me, I must confess. Okay. That was Kim. I've had so many opportunities to send Kim's way during the intervening years after that. Other churches that needed kids pastor. I recommended her all over the place. You know, she said no so many times. So when I came to Evergreen and we needed a kids pastor, I'm like, yeah, God's saving her for us. I called her and asked her. And she said yes. That was awesome. Well, some of you know our former associates, uh, Rick and Elizabeth Sawchuck. And before I came to Evergreen, I was asked to speak at a women's event at a large church here in Portland. And and I said yes, and then I had this idea. I want, to, I want Elizabeth to come and do this with me because she's an incredible Bible teacher and she needs more opportunities and people don't know about her. So I just did what some would consider kind of a gutsy thing because I'm invited, right? I'm not in charge. So I called the leaders of the event and said, hey, if, if we split my time and I tag team, can I bring somebody with and they'll speak half the time and I'll do half the time? And they were so good, they said yes to me. So there's another yes. And out of that, Elizabeth came. And you know what? I won't say it was the better, but it probably was the better half of the, of the whole that we did that day. She did a tremendous job. I got a phone call that said, hey, there's this girl who's just getting ready to graduate with her master's from George Fox. Would you have coffee with her and encourage her about women in ministry? Because I think she might be a little bit disheartened about things, the state of things in Foursquare. So um, I called, and it was Lydia. And we had coffee over here at uh, the Starbucks on First. Now, we had only recently, like the year before, hired Rick and Elizabeth, and there was no money to hire another person, but I hired her anyway. <laughs> on the spot, I said, yes, you can come and lead here with us. We can't pay you anything. But you know what? She was looking for opportunity. And honestly, a lot of young leaders are looking for opportunity first. And then I said, when we can, we will. And she said, yes. Helping and empowering others is not always easy. Sacrificing means we might have to give up something so that someone else can have something better. Help and empower others. Say yes, even when it means that you'll need to sacrifice something. Maybe the opportunity that you love so that they can have it. So let Jesus define our identity and purpose. Say yes to others. And third, and finally, we're finally there, folks. Embrace the advantage in our minority status. I call this the feminine advantage. Okay, I'm going to really butcher this French name, so don't bother me about it afterwards. Madame Marie <laughs> a patron of the arts, a, a very articulate woman, she said this wonderful thing. She said, women are never stronger than when they arm themselves with their weaknesses. I think the Apostle Paul would agree. He describes his own experience with this very truth 
in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me and on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, our weakness attracts God's power. Our weakness, not our strength, like we think. So I want to suggest to you women that our minority status is a weakness that can attract God's strength. It can do some beautiful things. We were getting ready to go to L.A. and the leaders of the Foursquare tribe, that happens to be the, the tribe that we're a part of here, Evergreen, they wanted Jared and I to come down and have lunch. And it was very memorable for me. I sat there and listened as they talked. Uh, and they were talking all about what Jared was going to do. And I kind of felt invisible and wondered why they wanted me to be there in the room. And they were a little bit awkward about, oh, we haven't you know, offered Anne anything. What are we going to do? Well, I about that time excused myself to go to the bathroom. That's what you do when you need good impulse control. So, because I'm thinking, I'm invisible here. I've been involved for 27 years in church planning with Jared, gone through all the national training with him, but there just, you know, there was nothing, no, no sign of anything. And so, I went in there and I said, it's a man's world, Lord. That's all I said. And I, I just said, so help me just be quiet and listen and lean on you. Let, let's see what you do. Went out and finished up the time. Of course, Jared and I talked about it a little bit later, <laughs> as we would. Yeah, I bet you wish you were in the car for that one. <laughs> but about a year later, those very same leaders came to me and asked me to be the national director of church multiplication. And my first question was, not to them, but to the Lord, was, will my being a woman get in the way of the mission? Because I fully understand that the mission is bigger than gender or sex. The mission, that's what it's about. But here's what Jesus said. He said, no, not at all. He said, do what I ask you to do in this assignment and let the results speak for you. And then he gave me the scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay that, to show that the surpassing greatness is from God and not from us. And what he said was this, I will get more of the credit because you're a woman. And I said, I'm cool with that, right? Think of Harry Truman's quote, if you don't care who gets the credit, and who do we want to have the credit? Jesus, right? So Jesus gets more credit because of our minority status. That's the feminine advantage, if you will. Our weakness attracts his power. This is exactly what the women of influence in God's big story, these women who followed Jesus did, even in the midst of a much more intense patriarchal culture. They just did what Jesus said to do, and they let the results speak into the culture. These women were willing to get into hot water with the religious and the social leaders of their day for Jesus' sake. They were so attracted to Jesus, this man from Galilee, who treated each of them with respect and compassion, that they followed him and imitated his culturally outrageous behavior. What you do speaks louder 
than your words. And the message of Jesus is do what God gives you to do and let the results do the talking. So after serving for four and a half years as National Director of Church Multiplication and recruiting and working with a team of leaders from across the nation, we had grown from 40 parent churches to 247 parent churches. And we had more than doubled the number of churches we were planting each year to 150. And we'd shared and trained leaders on four continents, as well as given all of our training materials and trained leaders across the nation in other networks and denominations of churches and developed and released church planters. But most importantly, thousands of people came to find and follow Jesus each year because of those new churches. And that's really why we're doing it in the first place. But that didn't stop one of the leaders in our Foursquare denomination, the person who was going to hire my replacement, from saying, we all know why you got this job. Jared's your husband. To which the Lord told me, the eternal is not erasable. Whatever you do with Jesus cannot be erased by other people because it's written in people's hearts. It's eternal results. So it doesn't matter if everybody acknowledges it. It's okay. Remember, he said, the words I shared with you. I'll get more of the credit. That's awesome. So where is God calling us today outside of our comfort zones? What about where you live and where you work or the school that you're connected with? Where is he challenging you today to remember who you really are, your identity in him, or to say yes to somebody else, to advocate for somebody and an opportunity for them when it feels like you're being disadvantaged? I'm convinced more than ever that he has something for each one of us and for his kingdom. And that if we'll lean on his power that's made perfect in our weakness, then we will have what we need to sustain us and we will become world changers. Because the surest path to changing the world is to follow Jesus in his misbehavior. Well-behaved women rarely make history. Today, Mother's Day 2018, you can drive a stake. Let's go misbehave with Jesus and change the world for the better, for everyone. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that you came down, you stooped down, you poured yourself out to make us great, to express love to us, to remind us of who we are, to show us your way so we could be reconciled, so we could be whole, and so we could pass that on and help other people become whole. So Lord, this week, as we're venturing out in our neighborhood and with our extended families, even today, Lord, I believe there are gonna be opportunities for people and you're going to remind him, this is where you could say yes. This is where you could show your support. This is where you could advocate for somebody. Lord, would you do that this week? Would you interfere with our lives? Would you mess with us? Would you help us live out 
your value for men and women as your Imago Dei, as your image bearers, as people that you have great plans for. We thank you, Lord, for helping us with that. And I pray for anyone here, Lord, who doesn't know how loved they are, how special they are, the masterpiece that you've made them. I pray that you'd nail that down for them today. That would be their stake. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just applaud the Lord? So good. So good. So I really want to invite the women to stand for just a moment, if you would. Would all the women stand? Yes, not just the moms, but moms are special too. And we want to say thank you for being a woman. We want to say thank you for standing in who God's made you. We want to say thank you for being people who say yes to others, who empower others, who don't live with a scarcity mentality. We just want to bless you in Jesus' name that you matter, that you are God's masterpiece. And we hope that whatever your experience, some of you don't have a mom left alive today to celebrate. Some of you wish you were a mom and you haven't become a mom. You matter. And God has purposes for you that are divine and just as amazing. And we want you to know that. And some of you are getting ready to give birth to some new ones. And we want to thank those of you who are moms, because that is one of our callings. If you've been gifted with children, then that's a very important piece of what you do. So we want to say thank you. And we want you to be the first to enjoy some amazing treats made by our students. Yes, they designed them themselves. So now you want to go out and check them out, because there's a variety out there. Women, if you would go ahead and be excused. And men, could we just applaud them as they go? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.